Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Mark, the 10th chapter. This morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Transformed. That God doesn't want us to conform to the patterns of this world, but He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to live this transformational life. We talked a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the work that Jesus did and the fact that the resurrection, that it changes everything. And that we, can, that we can live this life, not just challenged, but that we can live this life changed. Last Sunday, we, we dealt with doubt. And we acknowledged the fact that doubt is a part of the journey and that God doesn't beat us up when we doubt. We, we love the story of Thomas, right? Thomas, who is named Doubting Thomas, that Doubting Thomas became Apostle Thomas, became Missionary Thomas, and traveled further as a missionary than any of the other apostles. This morning, I wanna to talk to you about personal transformation in your life and I want to talk to you about how you can experience breakthrough. I want to look at the do's and don'ts of biblical breakthrough. And I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. Uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to preach, well, a, a reworked version of a message that I preached here a couple of years ago. I want to talk to you about the story, the journey of, of one man and how, how his encounter with Jesus presents a great model for what God wants to do in your life and, and how God wants to move. And hopefully in the midst of this, we can dispel some myths and, and we can connect with some biblical truths and the end result being that we have a personal encounter with a living God. So in Mark chapter 10, it tells us this. Um, in Mark 10, I think it starts in verse number 45. And, and, and in Mark 10, 46, it says this, then they came to Jericho. And as they're leaving Jericho, Jesus together with a large crowd, there's a man on the side of the road, Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. And he's sitting there and, and on the side of the road and he begins begging, right? Now, when he hears that it's Jesus, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and those around him say to him, say, you know what, you need, to, you need to be quiet. You need to stop that. You're embarrassing yourself. And here's what he does. He, he cries out all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. All of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he says, who, who said that? Who, who's, who's, who's calling? And the crowd turned to this beggar and says, cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling for you. Bartimaeus approaches Jesus and Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the same question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus on the road exiting Jericho that prophetically he wants to say to you this morning what do you want me to do for you see we we often get it backwards we always are thinking about what we can do for God right and a lot of people have that view that, that, that this is the way that the connection with God is supposed to work it's all about what you can do it's all about how you do it's all about how you act and, and yet that was never been the posture of God what do you want me to do for you Bartimaeus says to Jesus rabbi I want to see and Jesus says this says your faith 
has made you whole. And his eyes were open. And it says that he immediately followed Jesus along the road. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd make it a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, we pray that you'd help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we we commit these moments to you. Have your will and your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I I love the story of Bartimaeus. And um, I love the story of Bartimaeus because it's so easy for us all to relate to it. The, the, The fact of the matter is this, is we all face challenge, we all face issue, we all face need. But in the story of Bartimaeus, we discover the way that God would have us to respond to that need. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice this, that it tells us there in Mark 10, 46, it says that as they entered Jericho and then made their way through Jericho and as they were leaving, that Jesus together with a large crowd. Now, Jericho is a busy city in the, in the time of Jesus. It's a busy city because it is, it is the major transition point between Jerusalem and, and um, Masada to the south and, and the Engedi oasis to the south and everything along, down along the Dead Sea and then the, 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 the Jordan River plain and Galilee to the north. And so if you were coming to Jerusalem, you would come whether from the south or the north along the Jordan River plain, you would come to Jericho. And then you would make your way from Jericho into Jerusalem. And so it was a major trading area. It was also a major trading area because that, that Jordan River Valley, very, very fertile. Okay. And so all the agriculture that was there, it was just, it was a, it was a major destination. And as a result, always bustling. But this was a time when people from both the north and the south would be coming through Jericho because they were on their way to Jerusalem for Passover, which was a major deal. It was a major event. Jerusalem would swell to six times its normal size during Passover. And so all these people, they're headed towards Passover. So it would have been busy. It would have been, Jericho is normally busy. It would have been much busier because it's just prior to Passover. You then layer on top of it, there's this, there's this phenomenon happening. There's this guy named Jesus that crowds are following. In fact, when he speaks, oftentimes it's not crowds, it's multitudes. And so Jesus has this massive following and they're coming from Galilee and they're headed to Jerusalem. So it is packed. It is just, it's tight with people. And as As Jesus is exiting the city and all these people are exiting the city with him, there's Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. What is he doing? He's begging. You know why? Because that's what his life is reduced to. And here's what he does. When he hears that Jesus is is, is walking by, he says, you would think that if he was the Messiah that he would know that there was somebody here in need. No, he doesn't, does he? But isn't that what happens far too often? What we do is we say this, God, if God was really God, why would he not take care of my deal? And it's very easy for us to blame God for the situation that we find ourselves in. Because that tends to be human nature, isn't it? We accuse others and we excuse ourselves. It would have been really easy for Bartimaeus in that moment to go, It would be great if somebody in the crowd would point out to Jesus, I understand that he's healing people. I understand that he's a miracle worker. 
it would be great if somebody in the crowd, if somebody would say, hey, Jesus, there's a, there's a blind man over here. Could you, could you possibly come over and help him out? By the way, it should be no surprise to us that that didn't happen. Right? Because it's human nature in, in the moment to be self-focused. And Bartimaeus could have sat there and said, it's Jesus' responsibility to notice me. It's, it's the crowd's responsibility to make sure that my need is taken care of. But that's not what he did. Here's what he did. He took responsibility for his current situation. He took responsibility for his current situation. Now, is it Bartimaeus' fault that he's blind? No. And, and, and friend, here's what I want you to know. The, the current need that you have in your life, the fact that you have that need, it could be because of circumstances of, of your own doing. But there's a very good chance that it's because of things that have happened around you. It's not because of something that you did, that you're facing this difficulty, that you're facing this hardship, that you need this breakthrough. And while you might not be responsible for all the pains of your past, let me tell you what you are responsible for. You're responsible for your disposition in the present, and you're responsible for your steps going forward. We live in a day, we live in an age where we want to blame someone else for everything that's going on in our life. That your hardship is somehow George Bush's fault, or your hardship somehow is Barack Obama's fault, or your hardship somehow is Ed Garvin's fault. I didn't do it. I'm this way because of my parents. I, I face these issues because of a, a, a sibling that was unkind to me. I had, a, I had a woman who did me wrong. Right? And it, it's so easy for us to go, I'm the way I am because of that person. And I'm stuck in this self-destructive pattern. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in this personal pity party because of what others have done to me. Friend, I can relate to that. I, I, I bear in my body the marks of abuse. But that is not what defines me. And I'm not going to allow the difficulties of my past to define me. I'm not concerned about my past. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. And what God wants you to do is God wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to walk in victory. But part of that is taking responsibility for who you are, taking responsibility for your situation. I love, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old Irish proverb that says this. It says that you've got to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather is. You're responsible for you. And in that, in that moment, here's what Bartimaeus does. He takes responsibility for this situation. He takes responsibility for himself. He doesn't look for somebody else to take the initiative. He says, this is, this is my moment. And friend, I, I can pray for you. And I can encourage you. And I can strengthen you. But I can't make you connect with God. I, I can't make you place your faith in him. I can't make you walk in healthy relationship with this loving Savior, living God, soon coming King. I can't do that. This, this, issue of, this issue of a connection with God, it is a very personal thing. It's a very individual thing. 
And we see this playing out in real time in the story of Bartimaeus. And then there is the issue of the crowd. Bartimaeus is sitting there on the side of the road. He's blind. It is wall-to-wall people. The Messiah is there. But this is not going to be easy. It would have been... It would have been understandable in that moment if Bartimaeus said this, you know, I think I'm going to wait and see if I can catch Jesus the next time through. Maybe the next time Jesus comes through, it won't be during Passover. Maybe the next time Jesus comes through, it, it won't be such a large crowd. Maybe it, it just... The, the circumstances of the day, the situation in the moment, it's, this just isn't a good time for me to connect with Jesus. It's just, there's, there's too many obstacles. And, and friend, understand this, that Jesus is going through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem because the cross awaits. It's the last time that Jesus is walking down that path. This is his moment. If Bartimaeus misses this moment, Jesus doesn't pass by again. And yet it's so easy for us to get caught up in the thought of tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll respond tomorrow. I'll, I'll change tomorrow. I'll, 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 I'll connect tomorrow. Because the circumstances are such today. The situation is such today. And the enemy would love to get you trapped in this idea that somehow you need to wait for the ideal circumstances. You know, I want to clean up this area of my life and then I'll come to God. Do you know why people want to clean up this area of their life before they come to God? Because they've had an experience with church and they know how judgmental church can be. Okay? And I'll tell you this. If you're here for the first time, the first time in a long time, we're a church that's far from perfect, but we're making great strides and not being that kind of church anymore. Oh, we, we fall back sometimes. We have pockets of it, but that's, you know, that's okay. Just like God's still working on you, he's still working on us. But we have this, we have this, this thought that pops into our head that somehow we've got to wait for the ideal circumstances. Had had Bartimaeus waited for the ideal circumstances, he would have never experienced his victory. And along with those sometimes challenging circumstances are those often challenging people, right? Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Dude is sitting there blind. Jesus is a miracle worker. He's a healer. There are testimonies of him actually raising the dead. And this blind guy cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the people around him say to him? Stop that. Seriously, buddy, you're embarrassing yourself. Quiet down. Don't be surprised when you reach out to God that the critics around you will go, you are an idiot. 
What do you think you're doing? Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. Not only are you embarrassing yourself, you're embarrassing me. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen this unfold. Where it's church and, and someone's talking about coming to an altar and the person next to him says, don't, don't, no, 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 don't embarrass me. And we, we get sucked into the critics. Friend, if, if you want to experience breakthrough, you, you have to take responsibility for your, for your steps forward. You have to take responsibility for your current situation and your destiny. You can't wait for the, the ideal circumstances. You can't wait for the ideal situation. And you certainly can't listen to the critics. In that in that moment, he, Bartimaeus is not going to get caught up in this. And, and here's what he, he does. He, he cries out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stops. What is it about Bartimaeus' cry that gets Jesus' attention? Well, what Bartimaeus says is, it's profound. And its timing is spot on. See, Bartimaeus, in crying out, Jesus, son of David, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, the one who is the Messiah. That statement, son of David, he is, he is, he is acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's saying this, Jesus, you are the embodiment of what was spoken prophetically when it said that the kingdom of David will have no end. And they believed that the Messiah, the, the coming one, that, that, that he would be the fulfillment of that prophetic statement that, that of the kingdom of David, there will be no end. And so when he cries out, Jesus, son of David, he is acknowledging that Jesus is that chosen one, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The statement that he makes is huge. And Jesus stops and says, uh, who, who said that? Uh, come, come to me. I want you to notice what the, what the crowd says. The crowd says this. Cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. Remember this. Brother's blind. Right? Okay? Does it say in Scripture that somebody helped him up? Does it say in Scripture that somebody took him by the hand and took him to Jesus. No, even in the midst of that, even with Jesus calling him, even when the crowd starts to see a little bit differently, they go, hey, cheer up, go to Jesus, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus, in this moment, he does something that is incredibly bold. In fact, borderline crazy. And this is what he does. He gets up. And it tells us in scripture that he throws his cloak aside. He throws his cloak aside. Now, why would it tell us that in scripture? Here's the reason why. Because that cloak has significant. 
in that day, if you were going to be a beggar in, in, in a Roman occupied territory, you couldn't just sit along the side of the road and beg. You couldn't just sit along the side of the road and panhandle. Okay? You had to prove that you had a legitimate disability. Can I, can I just offer this as a side note? Um, as, a, as a pastor, that would sure be uh, make my job a whole lot easier because the number of people that come to church that have great stories, right? Um, you know, they just, they're, they're, they're down on their luck and they just need to go see their sick aunt who lives in St. Paul. And, you know, you just you hear all the different stories. Um, in fact, I remember one time I, I was an associate pastor and my pastor came in and he said this. He said, it has happened. I've pastored here for 22 years. And for 22 years, people have come and asked for a handout and they've told very creative stories. And they always say, you know what? When I get to where I'm going, I, I, I promise you, I'll send you a check. He said, after 22 years, I finally got a check. He was so excited about that check. He came in four days later and he said, the check bounced. <laughs> the, the account was closed. But in, 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 in the Roman government, they had a way of vetting these individuals. And, and once they vetted them and said, yes, you have a legitimate disability, you have a legitimate reason to sit on the side of the road and beg, they would give them a beggar's cloak. Okay? And so as you were going along and you saw people and, and, and you saw someone who had a beggar's cloak on, you would go, okay, they have a legitimate reason to be there. They're not trying to pull a fast one. They, they have a legitimate need and, and you know what, we should show some charity to them. That beggar's cloak, it was not an easy thing to get. And when, when Bartimaeus takes that beggar's cloak off and he tosses it aside and he leaves it there, friends, he's not going back to that beggar's cloak. That beggar's cloak is gone. It, the moment it hit the ground, in fact, it might not even hit the ground. It went from one hand to another, to, a, to another, to another. It's gone. Bartimaeus, at this point, he is all in with Jesus. He doesn't have a plan B. And part of this issue of breakthrough is we, we've got to get to a point that we're all in with Jesus. We're all in with Jesus. One of my, one of my good friends here at Calvary is Bob Alford. And a lot of you know Bob. Um, Bob shadows me uh, for a number of reasons um, to make sure that no harm comes to me. And, uh, and I, I greatly appreciate that. And just, just to make sure that things are, are, are good here when I'm on campus um, and Bob's a guy that he's, Bob's had a dream for a lot of years um, that, that he is starting to see come to fruition. And it's about time because Bob is 65 years old today. And that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy old. That's ridiculously old. That's, that's Moses old, Bob. But if you talk to him, Bob's all in. He's all in on this dream that God's given him. He's, he's, he's all in on, on, on what, what, what he is convinced that this is God's destiny for him. Far too often what we do is we go this. Okay, God, I'll buy into what I believe that you're calling me to do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this as my fallback. God, I believe that you're calling me to do this. But I'm holding on 
to this just in case it doesn't work out. And, and there's something powerful that happens when we say, God, I am all in with you. Then he gets and he's standing before Jesus and Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? I find this interesting. The man is blind. Okay? It's obvious that he's blind. Jesus is all-knowing. He knows what the guy wants, right? Scripture tells us this, that God knows what we want before we even ask. God knows what we need before we ask. Jesus, being in very nature God, knew the need of Bartimaeus. And yet, he looks at Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, why does he do that? Why does he ask Bartimaeus to clearly state what it is that he wants? Here's the reason why. Because that, friends, is a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of faith. And, and I, I'm convinced that it's important that we, that, we, that we make that declaration of faith. However, let me say this, that I, I've watched as the Christian community has twisted this and wrapped some carefully selected scriptures around this to create a theology that I'm convinced is wholly inaccurate. Right? And, and, here, and here's, here's the deal. People will tell you that there is authority in your word, that there's authority in your word, that there's authority in your word. In fact, if you're feeling sick, don't say that you're sick because if you say you're sick, you're going to speak that into existence. Show me book, chapter, and verse where somebody said that they were sick and became sick. Again, show me. Well, people say, but it says, in, it says in Proverbs 18 that life and death is in the power of the tongue. It absolutely does. And friends, life and death is in the power, of the, uh, 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 the power of the tongue. As Joshua said, choose for yourself whom you shall serve. Right? And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what happens? We're saved. How are you saved? That confession of your mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. There's nowhere scripturally where somebody said that something wasn't, was, and it became. In fact, in the book of Acts, when the, when the apostles are making their way along the way, right? And there's that beggar along the side of the road and he's, he's looking for a little something. And they say to him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you in what? In the name of Jesus, okay? So what was it in that moment that had had authority? Ask anything in my name and it shall be done. Yes, you will give an account for every idle word that you speak because what you speak is a reflection of the disposition of your heart. What you speak is a reflection of your character. But this idea that I have to be freaked out over what I say, I, I want to I, I I illustrate something for you. I, I want to I help you with this. I, 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 have, I have two, uh, two very common household things today, two common props, okay? Cheerios and decon, okay? You notice that the boxes look similar? Same, same color. 
Here's what I find that's interesting. I eat this most, most, most mornings. I don't eat this. 99% of what is in this is in this. Actually, it's a little bit higher. 99.5% of what is in this is in this. 99.5% of what's in this box you can eat, and it's good. It's actually somewhat nutritious. Anyone want to try? It's that 0.5% that turns it from this to this. And here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to get you caught up in 99.5%. And friends, 99.5% does not provide nutrition. 99.5% puts you down the way that it, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Now, let me speak to that for a moment. That's the reason why I don't care how, I don't care how eloquent an individual is. I don't care how many titles they have in front of their name or behind their name. I don't care how big their ministry is. I'm including myself in this. Listen, your faith should not be based upon what I say. Your faith should be based on what the word of God says. Okay, so... Number one, you need to reach the point where you are a self-feeding disciple, where you open up the word of God and you read it for yourself. And you really should do that every day. You should provide for yourself spiritual nutrition every day. Second, you should question everything that I say. And if, it's, if it lines up to the word of God, walk in it. If it doesn't line up in the word of God, just go this. You know what? Ed's imperfect. And he'll figure it out. But all too often what happens is, is we hear some preachers say something and we, we get sucked into it. And we walk in this unhealthy thought. We walk in this unhealthy belief. That's how this whole idea that God wants to give you a Cadillac came to be. And you know, I, man, I had a ton of friends that got sucked into that. None of them ever drove a Cadillac. And you know when their Cadillac was always coming? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Jesus never asked somebody to say, say what isn't is. He never asked them to walk in self-deception. Jesus never looked at somebody and said, you're healed. And they weren't healed. And he said, no, 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 you're healed. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. Walk in it and eventually you'll see your healing. And the reason why the Bible gives us all these different narratives, all these different stories, it's a model for us. And so our approach to God should be the approach that we saw Gideon take. Moses take. Noah take, Peter take, Bartimaeus take. And we learn from their misconnections and we learn from their breakthroughs. 
And God always asks us to be honest about where we're at. And here's the reason why this is so important for me. is because I believe this. I believe that this issue of self-deception, that it runs with multiple streams. And And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that churches across America and around the world are filled with Christians that are walking just short of breakthrough because instead of honestly acknowledging their need to God and in a healthy environment, honestly confessing our faults or confessing our sins one to another. Instead, we walk in this really bad theology of self-deception. And it does two things. Number one, it compromises our testimony. Number two, it minimizes victory in our life. Jesus didn't say to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, say that you can see. Bartimaeus, say that you're not blind. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I I, I want to see. And probably the thing that I love the most about this story is this. I'm in awe of this moment because Bartimaeus says this. He says, I want to see. And Jesus standing there, this is the Ed Garvin version. This isn't what it says in the Bible. This is just what I think, okay? So you can take this for what what it's worth. When Bartimaeus says, I want to see, I believe that moment that Jesus is, Bartimaeus, you have no idea what you're actually asking for. Because you're about to see, not just in the natural, but you're about to see the supernatural. Because the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was not Bartimaeus' physical sight. It was his spiritual blindness. More than vision, Bartimaeus needed salvation. Right? And so when he says, I want to see, I I, got to believe this. I got to believe the the human part of our Messiah Jesus, that his heart just started to beat a little bit faster. And he's like, Bartimaeus, your eyes are about to be truly opened for the first time. And Bartimaeus When his eyes are open, here's the first thing that he sees. He sees his Messiah. And he doesn't, he doesn't just go, hey folks, I can see, I can see, I can see. Let me, let me contrast it to help kind of drive this point home. When Jesus, because Jesus heals another man that's blind. Right? There, there, there's this man that's sitting just outside of Jerusalem, just, uh, just south of Jerusalem, the Siloam Pool. And he's sitting there, and, uh, 
and as, as Jesus and his disciples, as they're preparing to enter Jerusalem, uh, one of his disciples asked the question, Jesus, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? His, his, his fault or his parents? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. It's not about whose fault it is. It's nobody's fault. The whole reason this man was born blind is to where you would have an understanding of the power and the sovereignty of God. And so Jesus walks up, he spits on the ground, he makes mud and he rubs mud in the guy's eyes. Okay? I love, I, I love this story. I, I, I love, I love, the, I love the, the strength of the story. I also love the humor of the story. I love the fact that the man never asked to be healed and he's just sitting there minding his own, his own business and somebody rubs mud in his eyes. Okay? I mean, it, it, seriously, if you're a blind guy and you're sitting there and all of a sudden somebody's rubbing mud in your eyes, aren't you going, hey, 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 what's, you know, quit picking on the blind man here. Right? But then Jesus in that voice, Right? that he's going to bring calm to any situation, Jesus says this, go and wipe off the mud and you will see. There's something about that that he just knew, I, oh, oh, I got to do this. And he goes and he wipes the mud off of his eyes and he can see, right? So the religious people today pull him in and go, hey, hey, we heard the story, you know, you're the blind kid, now you're the seeing kid, uh, what has happened? In fact, some people said it's a different guy and they went and got his parents and, and, and they asked his parents, is that your son? And said, yep, well, your, your son can see now, huh? And so they brought him in for, for the religious people and they asked him the question. They said, so what happened? He said, some, some, some guy rubbed mud in my eyes, told me to go wash it off and I can see. So, oh, come on, there's gotta be more to it. Well, this teacher, this good teacher was coming along and he rubbed my, uh, mud in my eyes and I could see. Oh, come on, there's gotta be more to the story. And at that point, he says to the Pharisees, the blind man says to the Pharisees, you're asking a lot of questions. Are you wanting to become a follower of this guy? Which really made him mad and they threw him out. Right? So he's thrown out of the temple and as he walks out, he sees Jesus. And it's at the point that he sees Jesus that he goes, that is the Messiah. Right? There's something powerful about that seeing Jesus. Friends, here's the reason why this is very important. This is the reason why I'm taking time on this. Far too many people are chasing miracles. Far too many people are chasing signs and wonders. Make no mistake, I'm a guy who I believe in signs and wonders. I've experienced dramatic healing in my own body. I have prayed for hundreds, if not thousands of people who have had dramatic, verifiable healings. I've seen God work in a, in a, in a, in a miraculous way. I, I know that God speaks in the prophetic every day. I want us to be a church that experiences signs and wonders. I do not on any level want us to be a church that chases signs and wonders. Signs and wonders do not lead those that believe. Signs and wonders follow those that believe. And you don't need a sign. You don't need wonders. Here's what you need. More than anything, you need to see Jesus. You need to see Jesus for who he really is. Because that friend is the greatest need. And his life was forever changed. How do you have that breakthrough that God wants for you? It's really easy. Number one, you have to stop accusing and excusing. You have to start taking responsibility for who you are and where you're going. You have to take responsibility for your situation. You have to stop 
waiting for ideal circumstances. Recognize that it's going to be, it's going to be ugly. I love the fact that one time Jesus heals a guy, right? Another issue of blindness. Heals him and says, be healed. And Jesus asks him, says, okay, so can you see? And he goes, I can see, but it, it doesn't look right. The people kind of look like trees. Well, that's not good. Pray for him again. He's completely healed, right? It, it's not always clean. It's not always pretty. And the circumstances aren't always ideal. And there will always be the doubters. There will always be the critics. There will always be those who will make fun of you. It almost always requires us to make a bold stand. And I'm convinced of this, that God wants us to be specific with him because he wants there to be an aspect of strength an aspect of specificity. Why? Because in that specificity, faith is validated. If, if, I, if, I, just, if I just pray this general, generic, all-encompassing prayer, I, I'm not really, I'm not really putting God on the line for anything. Right? But what if God doesn't do it? What if God doesn't provide? Now here's, here's, something, that we, here's something that we do a lot in church. We'll say this. We'll say, and I've done it here. We'll say this. How many of you have experienced healing? Raise your hand. I don't want you, I don't want you to do it now. Just, hold, hold on. We'll, we'll say this. How many of you have experienced healing? Raise your hand. We'll have people raise your hand. Okay? Watch this. How many of you have prayed for healing and you weren't healed? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, I want you to notice this hand's raised. How many of you have prayed for healing and you were healed? Raise your hand. Okay. So I prayed for healing and I've experienced healing. Dramatic stuff. Okay? Uh, And several. Um, I've prayed for stuff for healing and I'm not healed. Same God. Okay? And here's the, here's, the, here's the bigger issue. The bigger issue is this. It's not the physical manifest, manifestation of what God does that brings about that healing. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I've done. I've given that to him. Okay? So you've heard me tell a story if you've been around. I broke my tailbone on a missions trip in, in Nicaragua. God miraculously healed it. Uh, verifiable by a doctor, uh, miraculously healed, okay? I'm deaf in my left ear, and I prayed for healing for that, and uh, I've been deaf in my left ear since my eighth grade year in, 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 in school, uh, and uh, it, I, I, I'm, still, I'm still deaf in my left ear, okay? Which, by the way, comes in handy when there's noises and I want to sleep, right? Because I just <laughs> sleep on my right side, and it's all good. And uh, now there are some people who will go, well, you know what, you need, to, you need to continue to go to, go to the altar and ask for healing. Continue to go to the altar and ask for healing. Continue to go for, uh, to the altar and ask for healing. You know, it's been years since I've gone to the altar and asked for healing for this ear. And you know why? Because here's what has happened. I gave that over to God, 
really felt like this is what he told me to do. By the way, it's not wrong to pray for something over and over again. Okay? But when God says, I just want you to give that to me, you give it to him and then, and then you, you, you trust him in it. Okay? So here's what I know. I know this, that if God doesn't heal this, then he's got a plan for it. Let me say this again. If God doesn't heal it, he has a plan for it. Why? Because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you. Right? But plans instead to prosper you. I've got a future and a hope for you. And so I trust God that that he is a good God and that if I trust in him and don't lean on my own understanding, that he will will direct my path, that he will make my, my path straight. Right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Don't lean on our own understanding. But just in everything we do, acknowledge him. And he will make our path straight. Because our God is a faithful God, even when it doesn't manifest the way that we want it to manifest. Would, would Jesus have been any less the Messiah if at that moment he said to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, you will walk as an unsighted man. But you will walk as an unsighted man knowing that I am your God. Would he have been any less of a savior to Bartimaeus? See, we, if we're not careful, we can chase after the signs and wonders. Rather than grabbing hold of God. Again, church, I, I don't want you to get confused about what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there should not be signs and wonders. I, I think that there should be signs and wonders in a, in a very dramatic fashion. I'm convinced of this, that one of the big reasons why the church doesn't see more signs and wonders is because we get caught up in bad theology on the, on the one side and we focus on and we chase after the signs and wonders instead instead of grabbing hold of God on the other side. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And so that's the answer. The answer is there. It's it's, it's there in Mark chapter 10. Take responsibility for your situation. Don't wait for ideal circumstances. Don't listen to the critics. Do something bold and dramatic. Be be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Talk to God specifically about what it is that you're believing for. And expect God to go far beyond your surface ask. Expect God to go far beyond the natural into the supernatural because God will always drill down to your greatest need.